Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. We're going to present to you today a very, 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 did I say very important topic? Um, I don't see a lot of, uh, I've been doing this a while, and I don't see a lot of books on this subject that go into the depth of this topic the way it needs to be done. And so we are going to be talking about, first of all, we're going to be talking to Heidi Bright. She's the author of a great book, which is entitled Thriver Soup, and uh, it's about um, the big C and, and, and her journey through cancer. There it is. There's a book right there through cancer and a devastating t- uh, um, uh, prognosis, which was, um, I think after the second surgery you had, get your fares in order because it was going to, it was not going to turn out in your favor. And yet, and that was way back in 2009, 2010, 2011. And yet, what is it? 12 years later, you're still here. You must be like in medical journals and stuff. But Heidi, I'd like to welcome you to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank great you. Great to be alive. <laughs> At this great point, it's great happy. to be anywhere, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's important that you're here because um, you can be helpful to a lot of people because I cannot, I, it's hasn't happened to me personally, um, nor has it happened to any close family member, but I just can't imagine what it's like to go to the doctor, you're not feeling well, you have some tests, and then they give you a diagnosis like you got, which your diagnosis was... Highly, well, at the time they called it highly undifferentiated endometrial sarcoma, which meant uterine sarcoma. And it was the most aggressive kind. They had four grades. I was the fourth. And it was already metastasized. And it it didn't really happen in the doctor's office. I had gone for an ultrasound in March of 2009, and they said, well, you might have, you've got benign fibroids, they're probably benign, you probably don't have cancer because you're too healthy. Oh. Well, they got bigger and bigger and bigger, and by July I went in and it was so uncomfortable, Uh, I was actually on the pain scale, it was like a six or a seven out of 10, and I wasn't taking anything for the pain, And I'm really glad I didn't because I wouldn't have gone to the hospital when I did. But I went to the emergency room because I said, this is ridiculous amount of pain for benign fibroids. And they said, yeah, we're going to bring in an oncology surgeon. You might have sarcoma. What's sarcoma? (laughs) I was going to ask you, what does sarcoma mean? Yeah, it's a connective tissue cancer. There's carcinoma and then there's sarcoma. And I think only 1% of cancers are sarcomas. Oh, lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> it, gets worse. it was much worse than that, too, because there's like three or four people I've ever heard of who had the same diagnosis. Are, any of, them still, are any of them still with us? I don't know. I haven't kept track. Ah. Um, but when I went to one hospital, I had four different opinions. Three of them were the same. One of them was different. It's an art, um, the pathology report. People who do pathology really is an art. Anyway, when I went to one of these hospitals, they asked me to sign an agreement to send my slides to international conferences. <laughs> I was like, well, take me. You're famous. You're famous <laughs> now. Because <laughs> they had, you know, it was such a rarity to find something like this. Um, but they didn't find it till the surgery. It was a nine hour surgery and they took, they pretty much debulked my abdomen. And at the time they thought they were hoping it was stage two, but after a couple of weeks, they saw some spots in the lungs and I had a PET scan and they said, yeah, you got stage four cancer. So I had one spot in the lung with the first scan, and I don't remember how many weeks later. It was two or three weeks later I had another scan, and they had 
they found three spots. I mean, this stuff was aggressive. And so I decided to do everything I could to survive. And that included medical care and a bunch of other stuff. Everything that I heard of that sounded reasonable to me. Did you at one point, I imagine you did, because I would, I, I know I would. It's like, why did this happen to me? And why did I get so dang lucky? <laughs> well, I think I got lucky because I'm supposed to survive to help other people survive. And I have. I do coaching and I've helped other people save their lives. Because I know what it takes to, to defeat this. And why did I get it? I think there are probably a lot of factors, but I think a large part of it was I stuffed my feelings most of my life. And it had no, they had nowhere to go. So they exploded in my body eventually. So I, my sister really encouraged me to go see a psychotherapist. So I saw a clinical psychologist every week. And she taught me how to manage my emotions in healthy ways. And I believe that had a lot to do with my survival because I had to get that emotional negative energy out of my body because it was feeding, in my opinion, it was feeding the cancer because there's, I was healthy in every other way. I mean, the doctor told me I was healthy. I went to see an Ayurvedic doctor. He said, you're healthy. Why is that growing? Uh, everybody thought I was healthy, and I was. I, I was doing everything you're supposed to do to prevent cancer. I was eating organic food. I was exercising every day. I was maintaining my weight. I did everything they told you they tell you to do to prevent cancer, and I have highly aggressive end-stage cancer. So something was seriously wrong, and I don't think it was what I was eating. I think it was it's what was eating me, and I had to figure that out and heal that. And when I healed my, my heart and my mind, that's when I believe my body followed. But it took me two years because I had to really dig and I dug deep and I got to some really deep stuff and cleared it out. And I believe that's why I'm alive today. And I am now, let's see, 2011, 12 years free of any evidence of cancer and free of any cancer treatment. And I was told to get my affairs in order. Well, that was after, that was in 2011, after your second surgery, or after, I don't after know which second, surgery it was. but After the second lung surgery, yeah. Oh, you had, good night. You had you had abdomen surgery, and then you had lung cancer and surgery and, and all of that. And they said, basically, there's not much that we can do for you uh, other than uh, get your fares in order and pack your bags because you're going to end up in hospitals. Is that kind of how that went? Well, they they told me, to, the nurse practitioner told me to get back on chemotherapy. And I said, I've had every chemotherapy there is. And she said, then you need to get your fares in order. I've seen this for 30 years. You know, if there's no chemo, you're done. So I went home and I was depressed for a few days. And then I decided I'm going to go out the best possible way. I'm going to keep doing everything I can to be healthy. And I did. And my neck scan was clean. And my neck scan was clean. And my neck scan was clean. And I've been clean ever since. How often do you have to go in and have a scan now? Um, I got fired by my oncologist. <laughs> He said, why, why are you, are you here? here? Anymore. <laughs> You're wasting after, my time. Yeah. After they did um, CT scans for five years, found nothing. And then they did chest x-rays for five years and found nothing. So they said, you know, just go to your regular gynecologist now. Wow. That, now, what was it like for you when First of all, you got you've got the um, get your affairs in order talk, and then the next time you went and it was clean, and it was clean after that. Did you? At what point did you say to yourself, "I've beat this thing"? Oh, I didn't say that for years because this kind of a cancer was very aggressive and it can it can hide out for years. That's why they check up on you. After I hit the ten year mark, I felt like I could really breathe free. And I had also gone through a very traumatic event 
in 2015 that should have caused the cancer to come back and it did not. So I was walking on pins and needles for a few years after that, uh, but but I got through that and I was fine. Now the reason that they, one of the reasons they just, they told me to get ready for hospice is because um, the second lung surgery, the scan before the surgery showed a half inch tumor in the hilum next to my heart, which is on, it was sitting on the pulmonary vein next to my heart. Oh, geez. And they didn't even know, my oncologist didn't even know if anybody could get that out because it was just so tricky. But I went back to the same lung surgery and he said, let's do the surgery. So we did the surgery. And I asked during my post-op appointment, how big was the tumor? She said it was two and a half inches. That's how much it grew in five weeks. So again, it was it was super aggressive. Yeah. But the surgeon got out, got it out. I don't know if it, there were clear margins, but he got out everything I'm sure he could, and nothing's come back. So maybe was it was the surgery, but I kind of doubt it because that stuff's in the blood and it goes everywhere. Well, well, yeah. What was in your mind when he said, well, you know, you've got this tumor and it's in your lung, but it's right next to your heart by one of your major arteries that if you sever that, uh, there's, there's a chance that they're not going to be able to stop the bleeding. And, and well, it, was sitting, it was actually sitting on the pulmonary vein. Oh, geez. So <laughs> that is even worse. Yeah. Uh, and so they had to get that out in total without damaging the vein um because that could be life-threatening all by itself oh yeah yeah it was pretty scary i I got to admit you've got you've got a you've got a lot of intestinal fortitude you really do uh (laughs) to put up with all that and to survive it and to be and to thrive through it speaking of which we have something called thriver soup explain how that came to be this is a combination of all the things i did to survive it's not my story it's got snippets of, of pieces that I think would be helpful to people, but I don't tell my story in here. This is over 250 things I tried to help me survive. I mean, I dug deep and I went through and I approached it from every angle, um, medical, nutritional, physical, emotional, social, mental, and spiritual. I mean, I did the whole thing. Because I had read lists of people in radical remission. And when I took all the, there were several lists out there of people who were able to do this. And I put them all together and I kind of simmered it down. And I came up with three basic ideas. Um, They changed their attitudes. They changed their behaviors. And they made some major life choices. And when they did those three, that's when they got there. But they had to make the right choices, you know. So that's part of what I help people do when I do the coaching. What's it like when somebody comes into into, into your office or your, in your Zoom call and they have just been to their oncologist and their oncologist has said, um, we got troubles? Um, what, what, what is that conversation like? How do, you, how do you initially help people? Well, I ask them what they want to work on, because if they're not wanting to work on something, then I can talk till I'm blue in the face and it's not they're not ready for it. So I usually start with the with the outer layers like it's easy to talk about how to eat. That's it. That's the easiest change to make. And then the next easiest one is physical environment, like get rid of the chemicals, get rid of the plastic, get rid of all the stuff that you don't want in your environment. And then I start talking about the mental and the emotional and the social and the spiritual. But I let them pick what they want to work on because they need to be engaged in the process. Do you find that since we are since we are all energy and uh, we have, you know, and which, you know, in, in some in some schools of thought, that is a spiritual issue that we are all energy, uh, but the reality is it really is a scientific issue. Um, and it's our energy changes based upon the things that we do to change that energy. Is that, is that, is that fair to say? I think so. But I think there's a lot of things that feed into it. Like when we talk about your, your, your show is called positive talk radio. 
Correct. Now, everybody said, you need to be positive when I got diagnosed. <laughs> and I thought, well, I could be really positive I'm going to die because that's what everybody's expecting. Right. <laughs> or I can look at it differently. And the way I decided to look at it was being as authentic as I could be, being true to who I am in everything I do. That's a tough call, it but is. that became my goal. And that naturally leads to being positive. It's not a fake smile you paste on your face. It's being genuinely, um, being who you are and working for positive change within yourself. There actually was a study done, it's not scientific, but it meant a lot to me. There was a group of women who had cancer and I think there were 36 of them and they were studied back in the 1980s. And they found that the ones who were really angry the first year survived longer. Really? And the ones who found joy lived longer. And that, that was my takeaway. I am going to be authentic. I'm not going to bury my anger because I spent 48 years burying my anger. I'm not going to vent my anger. I'm going to treat my anger in a healthy way, which is what my therapist taught me to do and what I teach people to do. And then the, the positive benefits come through. And we become more positive people because we have let go of the weight of the anger and the fear. And then you become naturally more positive. It's genuine. In my experience, you can't help but be more positive if you approach things from a from a different place than you may have started out being, and you approach things really and and be true to yourself and and be who you really are. Yes, uh, that that seems to be that seems to have a dynamic place in in all of our lives that we, from the time that we're little, this gets beaten out of us. Or not necessarily being out of us, but told we are not. We're told that we're, we're not quite good enough. There is a lot of people that create anger for us, and 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 things, and and so we get to deep down. As an example, do you recall when you were a child why it was or what events happened that caused you to stuff your anger? Yes, it's because um, I I was told it. Things like, if you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Hey, well, I, was crying because I, was, I was crying because I was angry. <laughs> and I didn't <laughs> have a way to express it. <laughs> so what do you do with that? You know, as a child, you don't have much recourse. And my parents did the best they knew how to do. They weren't trying to be cruel or anything. They were just doing what they, what was done with them. And it's, we're, we're lucky at this time that people are examining these things and beginning to make changes. I'm a firm believer that, uh, well, think, as an example, how old were your parents when uh, they had you? Well, let's see. My mother was probably early 30s, but I was number four, and she was exhausted. I mean, I could see it in the pictures. She could, like, barely keep her eyes open when she's holding me. Well, she she was had been changing diapers already before you got there for, for probably six or seven years. Ten and, years. And, yeah. <laughs> And and it, it's really hard. And plus the fact that most parents are younger and they don't have a lot of life experience. And so they go based upon what they've been told is the yeah. right thing to do from other people. Like uh, don't when the child's crying, when they're in their bed, you just let them cry it out. Uh, that's 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 well, there may be a reason why that child is acting that way. And there, there I mean, there's a myriad of things, but because we're not professionals at raising children. Uh, <laughs> Rank amateurs. <laughs> here, here, take this home and take care of it. Yeah. Well, you know, I was, I was talking with a gal the other day that was, uh, that was in the, the same thing and she had postpartum depression and it's not like because her, her children were, were, you know, cried all the time and, and stuff like that. And uh, it's not like you, go through this huge experience of having this child and then 
you get a break of seven to ten days to recuperate and to feel better. No, you jump, you jump right in that very next day with with taking care of the baby, and then you take them home in two days. You don't get a chance to get a break. <laughs> no, there's no break. <laughs> and and so I feel for parents, and when we talk about how they they acted when you were a child my parents did the same thing they just didn't know any better and i they can't blame them for that they were doing the best they knew how to do with what they that's had. right that's but but it but every time and for every one of us those things have consequences that last long after our we're grown up and and in many people it becomes a voice in their head and they don't even recognize that it's a voice in their head so it that's why i went to therapy reality. <laughs> we got to unpack this thing and get and get to the bottom of it and get it out. Th that's right, and and you did that, and because of that, and I just love what you're doing, and especially the book, because it shows people that living consciously during a cancer journey can be everything. It can make all the changes, and the chemotherapy isn't everything, and radiation isn't everything. Lots of people get those, and they still pass away. But it's, it's, it's long life. It gives it buys you time, and that time is what I use to do everything else and to heal my life. What did your friends and family think when, when you went to the library and bought all these books and, and started studying all, all these different uh, philosophies and religious practices and, and all the things that you did? Well, the, the one thing I can remember is after I was diagnosed, I was down in Houston at MD Anderson to try to figure out what to do with this odd thing. And everybody was saying, why don't you just have a hamburger and a shake? <laughs> and I said, no. And I got really draconian with my diet. It's like, no sugar, no dairy, no wheat, no nothing, just vegetables. So um, I was, they, they liked the fact that I was determined. I remember that. Uh, and they helped me with everything they knew. And they were, because I think I got a lot more help because I was helping myself. I did not submit to being a cancer victim. I was gonna go out fighting for every inch of life I could. And I think people really rallied around that. You know, if somebody just does chemotherapy and they get sick, and that's all they do, people will start to fall away after a while because it's it looks hopeless. And I lost some friends, but you know, I got some really good friends out of this. And I'm very grateful. And you know, people, I, people, quite frankly, people who want to survive. They, they, want want to be part, they want to be part of the victory. <laughs> exactly. Well, and the other thing is because we're again, we're all energetic beings. When you when you raised your vibration, which is part of your journey uh that, that you went through and and uh, with with the type of practices that you did, a lot of people you were now vibrating at a different level than some other people, and it, it's uncomfortable for for yeah. them, and so they tend to fall away a little bit. And the, plus the fact that that did you find in your journey that when you told people that you had cancer, that that there was a difference in their behaviors in some cases that they were like so a little more standoffish because they didn't there were want, some, yeah, yeah, they couldn't deal with it. Because here I was, this this healthy person, and I was doing all this spiritual stuff, and you know, um, I would they they thought I was healthy, and here I am with cancer, and it frightens people. It really does, because you know, they looked at me. It's like, well, if she can get cancer, I could get cancer too, and that's just it's hard to deal with. And everybody has an equal opportunity. That cancer is one of those equal opportunity things that 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 anybody can get it. My brother died from stage four lung cancer, mm. um, and he was a roofer, and of course he smoked his whole life too. But I really think that it was being a roofer and not taking the precautions that you need to take, because uh, he did tear offs of of houses that had roofs on them that were 70, 80 years old. There was a lot of asbestos in the air and that kind of thing. And I, I really think that's probably what did him in as well as everything else. Um, but um, Dr. Barney, who is a, a friend of the show, 
She says, Heidi, you are so strong. I can't read, wait to read your books. Uh, please check out uh, Ty and Charlene uh, both, uh, uh, Bollinger's The Truth About Cancer. So much can be done with nutrition. You look beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And she continues with, um, glad you're speaking out and sharing your journey and inspiring others. Thank you, Dr. Marnie. It is critical. I and, and I say this heartfelt. It is critical that cancer becomes less of a stigma and a lot more of a of a thing that we can work with and that that we can help. And it's not like it's contagious or anything, but people tend to, I don't want to get near you because I want, don't want to catch, you know, the, the, catch the big C or they're thinking about themselves rather than having the empathy to sit there and just listen to you. Well, it's really hard because when you're expected to die, they don't want to get attached or stay attached because it's painful and it does remind them of their own mortality. So I understand that. And then, then she says, that's very nice of you, Doc. I appreciate it. I really do. Yes. Yes. Good conversation. Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, and the thing is, when you get into, into more of the spiritual side of things, you recognize that everybody's going to die, but, and that's okay. As long as your mission that you came here to do is fulfilled. And what happened to you was you caught cancer, but your mission wasn't fulfilled to be who you were destined to be. And that, that's what I take out of it. Now, what do you take out of it? Well, I think some people, it, it's just part of their path. There's, there's four things that can happen. You can be cured, which is medical and healed which is what I did with my life. I tried to heal my life. You can be cured and not healed, which happens to a lot of people, especially with earlier stages of cancer. You can be healed and not cured, which means you can heal your life like I did and then die anyway. Or you can be not healed and not cured, which to me was like the worst thing that could happen. Um, so, I decided I was going to heal my life, whether I died or not. And so that's what I set out to do. And I'm one of the fortunate ones that by healing my life, the cancer disappeared, including with the surgery. Now, do you find that uh, going through the journey that you went through with all of these uh, modalities that you did, and I'm sure Reiki was in there, and there was a lot of different things that you did. Did you find that that your life is more complete and more uplifting after that because of the things that you did? Absolutely. I'm a totally different person. The person diagnosed with cancer in 2009 died. She had to die. She was not going to survive the way she was. I am a totally different person now. And, and, and I really like who I am. And, and congratulations. It's a heartwarming story. What do your friends and family feel? Are they like, and, and your doctors is like, you're the miracle child. And you've also changed who you are all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's real happy with it. And my sister, I told everybody when I was diagnosed, do not tell me if I'm going to die because I don't want to know. I don't want to have a termination date. So nobody told me that I was gonna die. I suspected, you know, highly aggressive end stage cancer. We can't stop it with the chemo and the surgeries. It was relentless, um, but I still, I refused to find out. And a few years after the cancer had disappeared, my sister came up to me and she said, I can't believe you're really here and you're healthy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when she told me, you weren't supposed to live out the year. I wasn't. <laughs> so, you know, that that was great support that I got. Not, you know, not not having the termination date put on my forehead. <laughs> or stamped on the bottom of your foot. Mine is stamped on the bottom of my foot, but I can't see it, fortunately. <laughs> 
It was stamped there, but I couldn't see it. And so I didn't pay any attention to it. I was just going to do everything I could to survive. Now, there are some people in our audience that are going to say, oh, come on, Heidi, it's, you know, the power of positive thinking and all of that and all the books that talk about that. That's a, you know, ultimately, that's a bunch of, a bunch of hooey, hooey and, and not not a real thing. Um, you are living proof that that is a real stuff and it's real things and that your mental attitude and who you are and your positivity and the energy you vibrate and all of that, that makes a huge difference. Thank you. I hope to be a light for other people, a beacon of hope. No, no. So no, if, no. They're, if they're ill, they have, they know that there is the potential. I'm not promising anybody anything, but there's the potential to heal everything and to and for the cancer to let go and stop. I, I want you to do one thing for me, and that is change that from I hope to be to I am. Oh, thank you. I am. <laughs> I am a beacon of hope. <laughs> yeah, absolutely you're a beacon of hope. And and you are you are one that and I hope that uh, that by the way, the name of the book again is Survivor Soup. A feast for living consciously during the cancer journey. Yeah. Right, I hope, absolutely. And I hope everybody picks up that book because I don't care if it's stage one, if it's stage four. Right. You it, it it that is not what the book is about. The book is about ways of living your life differently than you may have ever thought possible, so that you can however long that we have left to live, you will live much happier and much better. Yes. Yes. And, and people who are diagnosed with like stage one and stage two tend to think, oh, I'll just do the treatments and then it's over. And if they haven't dealt with the root cause, it's not over. No. I hear of people getting cancer 10 different times. It's like, well, you know, why does the cancer keep coming back? Why do you keep getting other kinds of cancer? There's something that's not, not, as healthy as it could be. And by rooting that out and resolving it, then maybe the cancer can stop. So I don't care what stage it is. If there's cancer, there's something that needs to be looked at, in my opinion. Did you find that there are people that, that in, in, in the course of your work and working with people with cancer, that there are people that said, you know, I always knew I was going to get cancer. Do you ever find that that, that there are? I that, run into that. I, but it, it's true though that so there are some people that that you know my my dad died of cancer, my grandpa died of cancer. I'm going to get cancer. I had a good friend. He was graduated with me in high school. He was 64, and uh, and he said, "Well, you know." I don't have long to live because my dad died at 62. So I've, ex I've extended my, and you know what? He died at 64. Oh, it was, it was, it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Well, actually my mother got breast cancer at age 42. So when I hit 42 and got past 42 and did not get cancer, it's like, phew. But then I got to 48 and got the cancer. And my my mother passed at 54. She was actually a really good example for me because she had breast cancer, stage four breast cancer for 12 years. Wow. Back when the treatments were really barbaric and terrible. And she lived to be 54. And when I got to 54 and got past 54, I was like, Phew. So there are, there are patterns and we tend to follow patterns because that's what we know. I was 11 when my mother was diagnosed. My son was 11 when I was diagnosed. Oh, so wow. he repeated my pattern. And I, so I think there's unconscious patterns. So for somebody to be aware of that pattern is probably a good thing because then you can do something about it. When you're not aware of the pattern, there's nothing you can do until you become aware of it. 
But if, if there's a history of cancer, then it makes sense to do everything you can to prevent the cancer. So you don't end up in that situation. And my book has so many things in there that can be done without a cancer diagnosis to help you be as healthy as you can. I mean, people use people who retire like my book because it gives them ideas on how to help themselves have a better retirement. <laughs> I, I, for those of you who are, are not uh, of close to retirement age, I will tell you, <laughs> there is a distinct difference between how you feel at 60 and how you feel at 70. And the same thing between 70 and 80 and, and then, then beyond, because um, it's just, you know, you're, you're getting older. And so there comes a point in time when you do need to take really good care of yourself or you're going to go down that rabbit hole and you're going to die prematurely. And if you take really good care of yourself, you're going to feel better no matter when you pass. You're exactly. going to go out, you're going to go down in flames or you're going to go out happy and healthy. <laughs> I mean, we might, we might have a set termination date. I don't know. But if we do, wouldn't it be better to go out feeling good than feeling horrible? Well, and the fact of the matter is, is you're going to feel good and in, in what horrible things are not going to befall you um, as nearly as much as if you are not doing things to help yourself. Now, sometimes it's unavoidable. Like if you've got uh, skeletal issues that and and things that they that that as an example, my sister has had both her knees replaced, both her hips replaced, has had neck surgery, elbow surgery. So she's had like 15 surgeries. And some of that is maybe her fault. Some of it's not. Um, but, you know, and we each have our own walk to, to, to take. But I really like what your book talks about is take the best walk you can. Yes. Yes. In every area of life. Well, You'll be happier and healthier and feel better and everything will be better. <laughs> you well, take the, care of yourself. Yeah, the interesting thing is it's all connected. Yes, you, it you can't just say, I'm going to eat better. It's all connected. The exercise, the eating better, the spiritual side, all of all of those things are connected. The positivity and, and, and I think that you will enjoy. We get such a short time here. Have you noticed that? The older I get, the, the shorter time I realize it is. <laughs> And it keeps getting shorter and shorter. It does. Do you know that today is March 1st? I, just, I can't. I looked at like. This <laughs> was, was just like last it week. Was January, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so the old, and the, it's really not fair because the older I get, the faster time goes. I think we all feel that way. Yeah, and and because when I was a kid and it was uh, November, it seemed like forever before Christmas is going to come, and and now it's July and Christmas is here next week. <laughs> yes, I want to address the uh, the whole positivity thing. Um, Please do. I want what I learned from what I learned from my therapist is something that she learned from somebody called the Map of Emotions. I think his name was David Berenstein. I don't remember. I never met him, but the idea is um, there. There's if I get angry about something, I can think about what's making me angry, and then I get into a mood of resentment, hostility, blame, all that kind of stuff. Or I can feel the anger in my body without thinking about it, and in ninety seconds it will dissipate. Because when I get angry, I have a fight, flight, or freeze response, and the brain dumps chemicals into the body so I can fight, flight, you know, take flight or freeze to save my life. Well, we're not being chased by bears anymore, most of us. So, <laughs> good thing. But we still have this survival mechanism. So the best way to deal with those, the, the bloodstream will wash them out in 90 seconds because we no longer need them. Now, if I get stuck in resentment, hostility, and blame, I'm up here in my head thinking about what's making me angry, and I get dump after dump after dump. Well, the body gets flooded with these terrible chemicals to save my life, but they're not saving my life, and it becomes a chronic problem 
And that's what I had. I had a chronic problem with anger and I was totally unaware of it. Same thing with fear. Cancer patients experience terror. If I think about what's making me terrified, I got a scan tomorrow and it's going to, you know, show more cancer. I get a chemical dump in my body. If I sit with that fear and think about it, I worry. I become a victim. I become a martyr. But if I allow the fear to be what it is without thinking about it, oh, there's butterflies in my stomach. Oh, my right arm feels really uncomfortable right now. But not really thinking about it, just experiencing the sensations in my body. After 90 seconds, it will, the body will wash it out. Then I have a choice. Am I going to focus on what's going to happen that I'm afraid of? Or am I going to put my attention to something that's happening right now in front of me that doesn't cause fear? If we're able to do that, it be, it, it's a, this is what I talk about with changing attitudes and behaviors. The attitude, you have to have a different attitude toward emotions. You have to see them as uncomfortable survival mechanism that can dissipate after 90 seconds. The behavior becomes, oh, I'm having a chemical dump of fear in my body. I'm going to stop thinking and focus on the sensations of my body until they lift. That's the behavior. Once I've made this behavior change, then I can make a major choice. Am I going to keep repeating going into a situation that's causing the anger? Or am I going to change something in my life so that it doesn't bother me anymore? Like one woman I coached, um, she had breast cancer. And uh, she got it taken care of medically. She got my book. She read it. Uh, she thought everything was fine. And a few years later, cancer came back on the other breast. Same type of cancer, but not the same cancer. And she's got, okay, there's something going on here. And what happened when she got the cancer the first time was um, her husband was having an affair. Uh, so she got a divorce. Um, and there was still a lot of anger around that. But she stayed in the marital home. When the cancer came back the second time, she realized, she read my book. She said she read my book carefully two or three times before she figured out what it was. She was spending her time in the same house where she had been violated and cheated on. And every time she walked in that door, she was back in the same environment. So she sold the house, moved to a place where she was much happier, and she ended up being stable with stage four cancer. So that's the where the positive comes through is when we deal with what's really going on in a healthy way, then we can be positive. Then we can make those big changes that we need to make to, to um, either maintain health or get healthier. And isn't it our brain or our, our style of thinking for lack of a better term that, that causes us as an example, when you get angry, we keep reinforcing because we keep reliving the event that made us angry. And then we decide, well, I'm going to be angrier and angrier. And how can I get back at this point? You know, it goes down a whole negative line of thinking rather than, okay, so it's over and I can't do anything about it and it's done. And now I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to accept that and I'm going to make a choice, which is clearly a choice that I'm going to be, I'm going to let it go. Because holding yeah. on to stuff is bad. It's very bad. Now, it's not easy to let it go. That takes practice. It takes practice. I had been doing this process for years. And I had a situation that made me so angry. I like had never been so angry. I had so much impotent rage. What do I do with this? You know? So I finally just decided to lie down on my bed, not talk to anybody, and just do that process over and over and over. I would think about what made me angry. I'd have a chemical dump. I could literally feel the heat rising off my body. I mean it, I was so angry. 
And uh, then as soon as I started to feel better, my brain went right back to what was what I was angry about. So I did this process over and over and over and over. I spent more than an hour repeating this process. But when I got through that hour, it's like, uh, I finally feel a little lighter. I'm going to get up and go about my day. I got on my computer and there was an email with exactly what I've been wanting to have happen for a year. <laughs> but I had to reach a point of letting it go. But it's not easy to let go because the brain, our egos have a death grip on these things and we have to loosen that grip. And that's the process, what this process does is it loosens the grip so that we can get our lives back. Without the hate division and fear and the anger and all the, all the negative emotions that, that, that can play into our lives. Well, I don't consider emotions negative. They just are. You have no control over that's, the chemical dump. You have that's no true. control over being angry and afraid, but you do have control over what you do with it. Are you going to allow, are you going to embrace it and allow it to be what it is without thinking about it? Allow the sensations to move through your body? Or are you going to hold on to it and make yourself miserable? Which I was an expert at before I got cancer. <laughs> See, and and this this goes into a whole a whole interesting line of thinking that should be your maybe your second book, which is <laughs> that when you get angry about a thing. And then you go find sources, especially today on the internet and, and other people and stuff, you find sources to reinforce your anger about what that thing is, regardless of what it is. And so you are not only holding on to it, you're perpetuating it, and then you're selling it to other people. And so they can put, that is a very damaging thing, both for yourself and the other people that are around you, isn't it? It is. It is. I try to avoid that stuff. As well do I used to be a news junkie. I can't watch the news much anymore, I'm afraid. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You I know. mean, we need to know what's going on, but if we rant and rave about something we have no control over, that just is self-defeating. Well, and the other thing is finding a source that agrees with your anger. And, and, and the ball of mirrors and all these egos feed off each other and perpetuate the problem. And and keeps and keeps it growing and stuff like that and and you'll never get you'll never get through it because you know our lives are the choices are our sum total of the choices that we make and the experiences that we have in my opinion and yeah. uh, and by the way you are a perfect person to talk about the experience of cancer because you were quite literally and you didn't you didn't ask but you kind of intuitively knew that that it wasn't good what was going on <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I knew that things had to change drastically or I was not going to be around. And congratulations on doing that. I, I, I want to give you a moment to talk to our audience about your book, about you, about how they can reach you, how they can work with you, anything that you would like them to know. Okay. Uh, my website is thriversoup.com. So it's the name of the book, thriversoup.com. And it's the book itself. You can get it from my website. I'm happy to sign copies. It's got over 250 ideas in it that people can use to help themselves. I talk about how to deal with chemotherapy. I did not have a lot of the side effects people have because I was taking very good care of myself. I was told I would lose my hair within three weeks, within 21 days. I didn't lose my hair for 21 months because I was taking exceptional care of myself. So I talk about how to do that. Um, I talk about all kinds of stuff that you can do to get out of surgery, get out of the hospital a day early after surgery, because I had lots of experience with that. <laughs> and I walked out of the hospital after a major surgery on my lungs with no opioids. I didn't need them. And part of that's attitude. But it's also keeping inflammation down in the body before you even get to that point. So I talk about um, surgery. And then I talk about, uh, I don't talk about immunotherapy because I did not go through that. But I, I talk about how to deal with diet. I have a few recipes, not very many, but a few. Um, so I talk about how to eat, what kind of nutrients to try to get, what to avoid. 
Sugar, people say sugar causes cancer or feeds cancer. I'm not so sure that's true. I think um, sugar causes inflammation and inflammation encourages the cancer. So cutting out sugar is a good idea for that reason. Um, I talk about how to help your body, like with things like Reiki. And then I have a section about how to manage emotions where I talk about this whole process so people can, you know, oh, I'm angry today. I can go read about how to deal with his anger in, in this book, Heidi's book, Thriver Soup. I talk about how to deal with the mind because the mind is the enemy in a lot of things. We have to change our thinking. It's not easy, but it can be done. So I talk about how to do that with different things. Surrender is really important. It's a word I hate, but I had to learn how to do it. So I talk about how I learned how to do it in my book. And then I talk about um, the importance of social interaction because we need support. And I talk about uh, spirituality. Now, when I was diagnosed, I was doing mindfulness meditation and there's contemplation and there's all these, you know, prayer, all these mental things. And I realized I needed to get into my body. Now, not everybody's like that, but I personally needed to get into my body. And so I had, I um, found a spiritual practice that gets a person into their body and that's in there. Um, so I've got, all, I've got over 150 blogs on my website, thriversoup.com. I have a page about coaching. Uh, my book is available there. So um, is there anything I didn't cover? <laughs> oh, the book, is a, the book is endorsed by doctors and nurses. So that's probably good to know. And it's traditionally published. It's not self-published. I had a real very, very nice. And you've been working hard at this for, for a long time, which is great. And yeah, it was about six years writing the book. And that, which is really cool, which is really cool. I thank you for being here. It's very nice. It's very nice to see you again. Um, I would love to have you on since this is such a pre prevalent thing. And, and in Seattle, which is where I am, we've got Fred Hutch and we've got a lot of really great cancer places to get help. We've got a lot of people here who can use your advice. So you're going to have to come back. We're going to have to be on the radio show together. Okay. Sounds great, Kevin. Thank you. Appreciate All righty, and uh, if, is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? Um, no, I think we covered a lot of ground. Yes, Thank we you. did, and we'll cover more next time, too. Sounds great, Kevin. So wait right there. I'll be right back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other's all we